Oh, boy. Children, huh? <laughs> well, what a blessing they are to us. And you really do miss them when you don't have the same amount that you, you normally do. Like, again, it's just, we need to realize how blessed we are in this church, that we have so many boys and girls normally with us. That would be a lot for a lot of congregations, but for us it feels like there was hardly any of them here this morning. So let's, let's pray God's blessing upon our children and young people as well. But we're going to spend just a few moments, again, as we have done over the last few weeks, just um, praying for the situation in Ukraine. So let's um, join our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, we hold before you the peoples of Ukraine and of Russia. We ask that in your mercy that you would draw close to them. We pray for those who are in despair today because they see their homeland invaded and they see those whom they love and cherish and hold close in danger of their lives, Lord. Lord, would you bind up their hearts? Father, we, we continue to see images and stories in the news about buildings and homes being destroyed and just a threat and of danger impending. Father, we, we cannot imagine, or Lord, I cannot imagine what that is like. But Father, sadly, it is the reality for so many in our world. Lord, you say that there is a season for everything under heaven. Lord, we pray that we would enter a season of peace. Lord, would you give them strength to care for one another. Father, in this dark time, would they be known as good neighbors? Would they help, would they love one another, we pray, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are in despair today because their children are serving on the front lines, Lord. And they've been placed in front of the, the Russian advance. Father, again, would you draw close to, to those that are struggling? Would you bind up their hearts? Lord, would you give them the certainty of your love? Lord, perfect love casts out all fear. Lord, we pray that your love would reign in Ukraine in this moment. Would you uphold them and would they know just the presence of, of Jehovah Nissi over them, the Lord being their banner. Lord, we pray for our own and other nations who are expressing concern, but finding it hard to turn that concern into anything that really helps. Lord, give us a boldness, we pray. Lord, take from us all, we ask, any desire to, to lord things over others. And help us, Lord, to be a people of sacrifice. Would we know your lordship? Would we know the sovereignty of God in our lives, we pray. And Lord, we ask, as we have done over the last number of weeks, that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that he would just be felt walking through the streets of Ukraine and the surrounding areas. Father, we pray for the nations that surround Ukraine who have taken in 
those that have had to flee from their homes. God, we ask that you would be Jehovah Jireh, that you would cause provision in miraculous ways. Lord, those that are struggling for food and for for water and clean clothes, Lord, would you be the God who provides? For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our our name for God this morning is uh, an interesting one. And I wonder if I was to ask you what words you would dis- describe, you would use to describe God. If I, if I, we did a, a wee bit of a question and answer and ask you to describe God this morning, what words I wonder would come up? There might be words like love or, or mercy and gracious, sovereign, um, triumphant. There'd be many different words, but I, I wonder, and, and I probably would suspect that the word jealous wouldn't be one of the first ones that we would come up with. Um, often when we hear the word jealous, we think of a, a negative a negative word, a negative connotations for that word. But this morning we're going to see how actually um, there is righteous jealousy that God has over his people. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at that together as we read from God's word from uh, Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read from verse 10 down to um, verse uh, is it 16, I think. Um, yeah, verse, verse 17, beg your pardon. So Exodus chapter 34, reading from verse 10 down to verse 17. Let's listen to God's word together. And he said, that's God, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And you take off their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Amen. And the verse we're going to be spending time looking at this morning and thinking about is, is that verse 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord. And remember when we see L-O-R-D in capital letters, it's the name of Yahweh that's been translated there. For the name um, of Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. The word jealous, like I said, it's got many negative connotations in, in, our, in our world, in our life. And the, the Cambridge Dictionary would define uh, jealousy as being upset and angry because someone that you love seems interested in another person. But jealousy can't always be a bad thing. Because if it was, it wouldn't be a word that is used for God. It can't always be sinful 
to be jealous because if it was if jealous being jealous was sinful 100% of the time it wouldn't be the name that is given to God and, and God actually will see he gives himself this name he calls himself jealous but the word jealousy can also not just about we would think of it as an insecurity in a relationship but it's not just that's not just what jealousy means. Jealousy can also mean and, and be used about being careful or, or protecting. Again, the, Oxford the Cambridge Dictionary, sorry, would define it as being very careful to protect someone or something. I.e., her parents kept a jealous watch over her. Now, often what we do, and I've probably done this up until this week, is I've mixed up jealousy with being envious. They're two different things. Envy or, or coveting is sinful because you're lusting after something. You're wanting something that belongs to somebody else. But jealousy, when it's used in its right context, is actually a feeling of protection over something that is already your own. So you can't be jealous of something that someone else owns because it's not yours. That's been envious. That's coveting. So this morning, I can't be jealous of Becca's jumper because it's, it's never been my jumper. What I am is I'm envious. I, I want it. That's coveting. That's not jealousy. If I saw someone making off with my shoes, I'd be jealous of my shoes to protect them, bring them back. They're mine. They, they belong to me. If there's someone threatening something that was mine. So jealousy isn't evil in and of itself. Or it could never be ascribed to God. But don't hear me wrong. Often when, when humans feel the emotion of jealousy. It can lead them into sin. Because of how they respond to that emotion. It can often lead to anger. It can lead to saying nasty things. And obviously that is sinful. That's, that's wrong. But the emotion of, of wanting to protect something that belongs to you, that's not bred out of insecurity, but it's done from the basis of love. Well, we have something that the Bible calls jealous. And we see that that is what God is over his people. He is jealous for his people. The context that we have read this morning is really important. And these words that we've read from Exodus chapter 34, what we have is God renewing the covenant with his people. And remember, the covenant is how God related to his people. It was the basis of their relationship. So what we've read about God... You shall not worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. This has been said in the context of God's relationship with his people. This is about him acting towards his people and his people acting towards him. And again, we need to remember and hold on to that, that what I call the covenant motto. Uh, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is at the very root of what we are seeing this morning. But let's press pause for a few moments because we need to understand what's happened before Exodus chapter 34. In chapter 19, 
Moses and the people have finally reached Mount Sinai. Just as God had said um, and, and told Moses, that would be the sign that you bring back the people, uh, you bring the people to this mountain and you'd worship me. And, and God's presence descends on Mount Sinai and we see f- some smoke, we see fire, th- uh, rumbles of thunder. It's quite an awesome sight. But then God asks Moses and he calls him up into the, the, the cloud, up into the mountain. And, and God gives Moses uh, the Ten Commandments, these, these two tablets of stone that Moses writes on. And Moses, um, we, well, sorry, God says just before he gives the Ten Commandments, and it's really important that actually he sets the context of the Ten Commandments in the freedom of God's people. He says, I've, re- I've redeemed you. I've taken you out of slavery. But here's the parameters that you now live within. And some of the commandments were, they, they, they were about how they related to God and how they related um, to those that surround them. So they shouldn't murder, they shouldn't steal. But the ones that are related to God were that you'll have no other gods before me. You wouldn't create any images or um, idols and worship them. You wouldn't take my name in vain. And what we read in Exodus chapter 20 is when God uses this name jealous for himself for the first time. Chapter 20 verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And in Exodus 20, we have God use this name Elcano for the first time. I am a jealous God. And it's found within the context that God is calling his people to worship him and him alone. It is one of the things that distinguishes Judaism and Christianity from the other faiths of, and religions and things that people worship in this world. The difference between Judaism and Christianity is that we have a New Testament, they're still waiting for the the Messiah to come. But one of the the things that distinguishes Christianity is what we call that we are monotheistic, that we worship one God and one God alone. Mono, one, theism, God, there is only one God and he is who we worship. He calls us to exclusive worship, to worship him and him alone. No one else. It's not even up for debate. So much so that he's willing to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. That is how much God, um, how, how strongly God feels about us not going off and worshipping other gods. That it will be consequences for generations after us if that practice continues on through life. Because he wants to show us steadfast love. He wants to show us covenant faithfulness towards his people. And in this age of inclusiveness, and the the, the heart of the Christian faith stands against it and says, friends, there's not many ways, there's not many roads, there's not just pick and choose, take what you want from here and there and everywhere. But actually, there's only one God. There's only one mediator. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. And this is all derived out of this, this, this important principle that there is one God and one God alone. That we are monotheistic. 
You shall love the Lord your God with everything you have. The Bible tells us. And Moses tells the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. He comes down out of the cloud. If you can remember, he's up you know, getting the tablets of stone. And he comes down out of the cloud. And he tells the, 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 the people of Israel these commandments. And, and the, the, how God wants them to live within this covenant that has already been formed. And then we have Moses go back up the mountain, back up into God's presence. And between Exodus 20 and 23, God tells Moses that this is how the people are to live. These are the perimeters that I want my people to live within. This is the covenant and and what it looks like to be faithful to my covenant and living in relationship with me. A covenant had been made in the very basis, friends, we, we need to grasp this principle was that God would be their God and they would be his people. I cannot iterate that enough. And in in that statement, in that motto, what we have is that, that God is staking a claim over his people. I'm your God and you belong to me, he is saying. And in that statement, we have this claim being staked. But as Israel would live within the covenant that God has established them to live with them that they would know God's blessings and then in chapter 24 the covenant is confirmed and it's sealed by by blood that's come from a sacrifice I wonder if that makes you think of anything that we're going to be looking at in a few weeks time but it's important that we know this that they are his and they belong to him Then in Exodus 25 through to 31, God continues to speak to Moses and reveal stuff to Moses. But but whilst this is happening, get this, I I, I won't understand this. Whilst God God is still revealing stuff to Moses between these chapters, the people of Israel who've just heard the Ten Commandments, they grow tired and they grow frustrated and they go off and they, 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 they break the first three commandments in one action where they, they create this golden calf to worship. Moses is gone, God's gone, they think. Let's make our own idol. We'll, we'll build this golden calf. We'll bow down before it. It's what's led us out of Israel, out of Egypt, sorry. And it will lead us forward. And in doing so, they make an idol, they worship it, and they ascribe God's name to it. And they break the covenant that God had just confirmed with them in chapter 24. Moses is raging. He smashes the Ten Commandments up. He throws the tablets on the ground. God wants to destroy the people. But Moses mediates and and God's anger is relented. And God shows his mercy towards his people once again. And that brings us to chapter 34 where Moses makes these new tablets. He writes down the Ten Commandments again. And we, we, we start at verse 10 where we read this morning where God renews his covenant. He doesn't visit his people with wrath. But mercy triumphs over judgment and his grace prevails. The covenant had become null and void because of Israel. But God would divinely restore the covenant once again. And he promises, I'm going to do amazing things through you. I'm going to bless you. We see that in verse 10. That never had happened before in the earth or in the nations. I will do an awesome thing that I will do to you. But in verse 11, what we see again is this call to obedience. Observe what I command you this day. The obedience was still important. The obedience was still needed. Observe what I command you. 
What God is saying is, see all this covenant stuff I've just been speaking about, all these things you've just agreed to, that you've pledged your allegiance to, you need to observe it if you're going to be my people. Now, what's really helpful when we we see this kind of covenant obedience and covenant blessing is to hold what James says in in the New Testament where faith without works is dead. It's a really uh, eye-opening understanding, revelation, when we we see how the covenant works. Because they weren't saved by their works. It was through um, belief that they were saved. It was through faith. It's always been by faith. But faith without works is dead. Someone once said, obedience is the highest form of worship. Obedience is the highest form of worship. We think we just worship. When we sing our three songs on a Sunday morning, we've not grasped what worship is. Obedience is the highest form. That's why we we read the Bible and we want to live it out. Because we want to worship God by our actions, by our life. How do we show God that we love him? What does Jesus say in the New Testament? If you love me, obey my commandments. Faith without works is dead. If you're my people, you will live like my people because you love me. Time and time again, God reminds his people and calls them to live a life of obedience towards him. And as God calls for their complete obedience and commitment, he is effectively calling them to be faithful. You need to be faithful to me. Live out your faith. Live out your belief. Live out this relationship that you are in. And as this relationship between God and his people continues through scripture, it's likened very helpfully to a marriage. That God's people are wedded to God. That he is their bridegroom and his people are his bride. And we we can't misunderstand this covenant stuff. It's, It's not a business transaction. It's not about a relationship like Joel has in school where he, there's things he can and can't do uh, 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 and he has to do these things to order to please his teachers. That's not what this is. It's a beautiful relationship. That's what the covenant is. It's a beautiful relationship. It's a marriage between God and his people. And just as any bride or groom would expect their spouse to be faithful to them and be faithful to the promises they made on their wedding day, through their marriage and word and in deed, so God has the same expectations for his people. You need to be faithful in how you live towards me, God is saying, because we are his bride. And in verses 12 and 13, he commands them that as I pave the way for you into the promised land, as I drive out the inhabitants, you're going to find some practices that they've been worshipping and, and how they've been living, but don't go near it. Don't make any um, promises to them. Don't make any covenants with them. Really what God is saying in this is when you go into the promised land, I need you to be faithful to me. Don't go off and wander. Don't flirt with the enemy. Don't go and flirt with sin. Don't go and see how good this one looks or that one looks. Be faithful to me. Because he alone is to be their God. And God gives them two commandments here in verses 12 and 13. He tells them to destroy everything that they find. Anything that's linked to idolatry. Anything that would be linked to worshipping other gods. You need to destroy it. Get rid of it. Why? Because of the second commandment in verse 14. You shall worship no other god. If Israel was to be faithful in their covenant 
with God. They were to have no other God. They couldn't worship anyone or anything else. Why? Because Yahweh is, as he says, a jealous God. He is El Cano. So what does that mean? Well, remember, like we said, the first time this name is used is in the context of the Ten Commandments where God is saying, you can't go off and worship anyone else. Just worship me. Don't worship any idols. Don't worship false gods. Just me. Don't bow down before anyone else. Just me. He does not want his people, his his bride, that's more helpful for us to think about it like that. He doesn't want his bride being unfaithful to him by turning their back on him and going off and committing spiritual adultery. By going off and, and, and doing idolatry. He doesn't want that. And what this shows us is that, that being with God, that being in a relationship with God, that, that being a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, it means that you're in a living relationship with God. It means that you are his bride. It's not a social event. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It should be your primary identity that you're the bride of Christ. And if you're the bride of Christ, then there's a way that you need to live. Because you're faithful to him. And your faith is alive and active. This is about a real life relationship with the one true living God. Who calls us to, yes God is merciful, yes God is is sovereign. Friends, he is holy. And we should have a reverence when we come before him. Knowing whose presence it is that we stand. That we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, scripture says. That we should be obedient to him. He is jealous. And he doesn't want to be placed in competition with someone else for your heart. He doesn't want to be competing for your worship. Because he is sovereign. He is the creator of everything that we see. Friends, how could they go and create a golden calf? Who made the gold? Who created the world? God himself. Who created the the calves of the, the world? God created them. How could they then go and create something that was created? We're called to worship the creator. That's why we're called to love God with everything we have, all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Because he is number one. He is sovereign and he reigns supreme over everything in this world. And he doesn't want, nor does he deserve, half-hearted worship. He doesn't want to be competing for your time. He should have it, all of it. Because we should be seeking first his kingdom. Knowing that everything else is added unto us. And this name for God is, is calling, El Cano is calling his people to undiluted loyalty towards him. This morning it's exactly the same. Your God is jealous. He's jealous for you. And he doesn't want undiluted loyalty. Like I said, many of us mix up envy with jealousy. Remember we said envy is, or, or, or coveting is, is wanting that something that belongs to someone else. But, but jealousy is, is the attitude to, towards something that we already have a claim over. Now often, like I said, jealousy is, it, it, humanly speaking, is born out of insecurities. And, and really it's probably not rightly justified because we've been insecure about something. 
But that's not why God is jealous. He's not insecure. He has a right and a claim over how his people live. He has a right and a claim over how we live, move, and have our being. And again, we need to understand this is not out of control. This is out of covenant love. Steadfast and perfect love. Wanting the best for his people. Into freedom he brought them. Out of slavery. Into the promised land. Into freedom. Into a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's then that God gives his people parameters to live by. So they have security. And they would know his blessing upon them. And I honestly believe that the part of God's jealousy here is that protective nature. He knows that if they go off and worship the God of Baal, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the stars, the God of this, the God of that, that ultimately there's nothing in them. They're empty. He alone has the words of eternal life. And he's protective over his people. God knows that life is found in relationship with him and him alone. But listen again to the words we read at the beginning of our service from Isaiah 43. These were, I love these words. And again, the, the, the title that the, this passage, Isaiah 43, is given is Israel's only savior. God is staking a claim here. There's just me. There's no one else. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. See that? It's not a controlling thing. It's born out of love. He loves you. That's why he's jealous for you. It's because he loves you. Fear not, I'm with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And hear this, friends. This is why God has redeemed and saved a people. Everyone whom, who, I, who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. It is all for the glory of God. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Then he goes on and says, whom I formed and made. We are his possessions. That is a good thing. Again, that, that, that word possessive or possession has negative connotations. But here when it speaks about God, it is a good thing because we belong to him. It's like Malachi says, we're his treasured jewels. You're precious to him. You're his treasured possession. Any spouse should feel the emotion of jealousy if their marriage partner was genuinely flirting and threatening the relationship that they had. If they were genuinely threatening the covenant of marriage that they entered into, if there was genuine and legitimate fears and concerns, you would obviously feel jealous because you're protective over your spouse. Because you belong to each other. You are one when you're married. Friends, proper jealousy is a byproduct of love. Because I love Becca and she's my wife, my proper reaction, to, if anything ever threatened our marriage, I would be protective over that. I'd be jealous for her because I love her. And what does God mean when he says he's jealous? What he's saying is, I am so committed to the relationship that I've established with my people. 
He's so committed to the relationship that he's in with you that he doesn't want anything to threaten it. And he knew that these idols would pose a threat because his people were sinful and were flawed and they would go in and they go, oh, that's a nice shiny golden calf. Let's go bow down before it. And they'd end up worshipping it. And God was, he wanted to protect that. He wanted to protect their relationship. He didn't want anything to ruin it. Friends, we're just about to close, but one way of understanding this jealous God is, is that one way that scholars kind of coin this phrase together and translate it would be that, that Yahweh is jealous for his name. And one of the threats against the covenant that God has established is against his own glory. Because if his people went off and started worshipping other people, that's the people he's formed for what? His own glory, Isaiah 43 says. Wayne Grudem says helpfully, God continually seeking to protect his own honour. That's what God's jealousy is. God is continually seeking to protect his own honour or his glory. Friends, it's an insult to put God in competition with false gods. And in relation to his glory, he is so committed to the covenant he's established. He's so committed to the relationship that he has established with his bride, with you, his people. That he sent Jesus into this world. As what does scripture say? I describe it as a ransom for many. That means you've been bought. You've been purchased. You're no longer your own. He's paid a price for you. You're his treasured possession. You're his jewel. He loves you. He's jealous for you. Don't be flirting with sin. Give him everything you have. Seek first his kingdom. Jesus has paid the price. We're no longer our own. Friends, which is a good thing. This name, maybe we did not realize, but hopefully we do now, has massive and significant impl implications in our lives. It shapes how we live. It shapes our attitude to everything that goes on in life. Because God should be number one. And because of his covenant commitment, he's bought you. He's purchased you by sending his one and only son into this world. It's not out of control. Like our God is jealous. But it's the byproduct of love. You're precious to him. Do you know that this morning? You're precious to God. And he doesn't want anything to threaten your relationship with him. So let us live out our lives in obedience to him. Let our faith be seen in what we believe, but also in action as well. Let us pray. God, I thank you that you are jealous for people like us. God, we so often hear words and we ascribe and have understandings from human point of views. But Lord, thank you that your jealousy is not sinful. Your jealousy is not controlling. Your jealousy is not out of a place of insecurity. But God, you're jealous for your people because you love them. And Lord, you're committed to your honor. You're protective of your own glory. And Lord, help us to remember that's why we've been called as your people. That's why you've saved your bride for your glory. Lord, this morning we know the love of God afresh. That love that fights for us. That love that went to the cross of Calvary for us. 
that love that is jealous over us, protective over us. Lord, help us to be loyal to you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be a faith-filled people, Lord, but also a faithful people this morning, we pray. In Christ's precious name, amen. We're going to sing our concluding item of praise, which is how deep the